It's absolutely a fair statement. And when people, you know, there is statistics, for example, Lindsay has 70% of companies fail at digital transformation initiatives. And the major reason, I think they look at it as a technology transformation and not business transformation. This is the ERP Organizational Change Journal podcast, brought to you by Nestle & Associates, a Newport Beach, California-based ERP organizational change management firm serving the private equity industry. The ERP OCJ seeks to share expertise, insight, experience, and research, and to create effective conversation to help guide ERP organizational change to real, measurable, and verified success. And now, here's your ERP expert and host, the founder of Nestle & Associates, Dr. Jack Nestle. Hello everyone, Jack here. Welcome back to another episode where we dive deep into the intricacies of enterprise resource planning, organizational change, and mergers and acquisitions in the private equity landscape. I'm your host, Jack, and today we're tackling the topic of data and digital transformations, helping CEOs create maximum value from their data and digital assets. The ever-evolving digital age has ushered in an unprecedented influx of data, utilizing this data effectively as paramount, especially for creating value in the context of private equity firms and their stakeholders. Today, we have the pleasure of hosting Julia Bardmeser. Julia, the founder of Data for Real, brings with her a wealth of experience from her time at renowned institutions such as Citi, Freddie Mac, and Voya Financial. A strong advocate for the power of data and technologies, she's contributed significantly to the fields of data, AI, and digital strategy. Joining us from New York, New York, Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jack. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Likewise, uh, really looking forward to sharing your insight uh, with our listeners. Uh, Julia, before we get started, can you tell us more about yourself? Uh, just a quick intro for our listeners. Of course. So I have many years of experience in technology, data, and organizational change in mostly financial companies. I started many years ago in then not well-known company called Bloomberg, and I was a developer. Uh, it became much more well-known after I left it. And then my career developed, and as I look back, one of the things that became a theme of my career is how do technology, data, analytics, tools, and capability bring value to the companies. The value ranges from uh, my work at FINRA, which uh, in the reduction of systemic risk in our economy, to very similar to Citi and Deutsche Bank, large banks too big to fail, making sure that the way data is managed reduces the risk of those companies and going to where financial, where data and technology and digital capabilities, analytics capabilities in achieving business value and growth of the companies. So that has been my uh, focus and the pattern across all the, uh, all the work that I have done. Well, great. Thank you for sharing that, Julie. I appreciate it. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you today so we can share out uh, some of that great experience and insight. Uh, Given your extensive experience in digital strategy, AI, data management, and combined with your practical approach to business strategy and leadership, I'm certain our listeners are undoubtedly in for a treat today. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Listeners, all of us here at the ERP OCJ hope you find this podcast useful as we share lessons learned, discover best practices, and explore the human element components of ERP organizational change. 
please stay with us till the end. Julia will give us her actionable golden nugget of advice based on today's conversation, and I will recap today's key discoveries and offer my suggestions on how to implement what we've learned today with Julia. Our conversations here on the ERP OCJ are built around the listen and learn approach, but it's when you apply what you've learned that you begin to move the needle forward. So let's dive in. So, Julia, I would like to ask you a a few questions more around, I I think, the genesis of data strategy and digital transformations. And my first question would be, can you share with our listeners what drew you to the world of digital strategy and data management? I think you, you briefly alluded to it during your intro, but can you elaborate a little bit further? So it was more actually of an accident than anything else. Uh, When I started at Bloomberg, uh, I was assigned to a team, mortgage team, and there were two new people. And one of us was randomly assigned and doing more UX work. And I was randomly, you know, user experience, basically building Bloomberg screens. And I was assigned into something I would call now data integrity work. Uh, And that was accidental, but that's what happened. Uh, So I did a little bit of work there. And then when I moved into management, that happened second time. Uh, after a few jobs, I moved on to Bearstones. Then eventually I was at Freddie Mac and I decided that I want to manage teams. And again, there were two teams. Uh, I applied for a position of a manager. One team was to support front office application for a trading floor. And, you know, that's the one I wanted because, you know, front office applications, trading floor, uh, a lot of visibility from the business. And the second one was managing uh, data, reference data from different, like external reference and market data. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the first job. I did get the second. So, and then I realized I'm actually very good at this. Uh, so from then on, and the reason I think the difference that I brought even back then was how is it, how to make it useful across multiple uh, purposes within the company. So my original team was supposed to work just for one of the trading floors and the way we've created the assets, they were used across the entire company. As Freddie Mac went through so many changes, everything we've built was used from trading floor to office of economists, to auditors and to outside auditors, which at some point Freddie Mac had a lot of. Uh, sure. So that's how we ended up with data. It's like it was happy accident. Ended up being good. <laughs> well, good job uh, working through the sirens in the background without uh, distraction. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, living in Manhattan—that's what happens. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, well, Julia, um, how have you seen the role of data evolve in the enterprise space, especially considering your time at leading organizations? So uh, what I have seen, so let me start with Freddie Mac. So one of the reasons I wanted to have the front office job is because when I did get the data job, somebody on the business side and trading floor told me that I don't really envy you. The only time uh, you get noticed when things break, you're like telephone. (laughs) So that was then. And then, of course, things broke really badly, which is uh, Lehman Brothers and financial crisis of 2008. And the regulators came in full force and said, well, we need to understand the exposure and risks of large financial institutions. And, you know, again, if you from outside asking for exposure might be considered that's the difficult part. But the difficult part is figuring out what the Lehman Brothers means within the context of your company. And companies very quickly realized that. And that was the birth of data governance and data management as a discipline. And that was the beginning of that evolution. So that was both business evolution, especially in the financial services. But then there was a technology evolution happening at the same time uh, that had 
the advent of big data and growth of analytical tools that allowed you big and bigger use of this data. So companies having invested so much in regulatory compliance turned around and said, well, we want to use that for the business purposes as well, and we have technologies to do it. So you went from data not being even part of the conversations to pretty much every executive nowadays saying, well, data is really important to the growth of my company or data or now AI, which is that way it gets actually very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, Julia. And speaking of AI, um, considering your experience in artificial intelligence, how does AI intersect with data and driving digital transformation? What would you say to that? So AI is very interesting. So from on one hand, we've been with machine learning analytics, AI, for a really long time. This is not new this year. What's new this year is that we have a generative AI tool that's available to consumers. So the visibility just blew up. But uh, some of those capabilities, not generative, but analytical AI, existed before. And I always looked at it so, uh, as one of the capabilities business has to get data, to get value out of data. So to provide insights, to provide predictions, uh, to create efficiencies within the business. Uh, one of the wonderful things about AI and machine learning like as one of the tool uh, techniques behind it is that it can also accelerate uh, making the data more useful for providing of the insights and getting the business value out of it. And that's the intersection of AI and digital transformation because again, my definition of digital transformation, which may be a little bit, there is a lot of confusion. I don't know, Jack, if you came across that people are really confused when you say, what do you mean by digital transformation? You kind of have a range of possible responses. Yeah, yeah, I agree, Julie. I I think people tend to define that in, in different ways, you know, for sure. You know, sometimes yeah. sometimes you hear, for instance, uh, ERP implementations considered to be digital transformations, and I assume to a certain degree they are. But mm-hmm. yeah, but like an ERP implementation and a digital transformation aren't aren't the same thing uh, technically. But um, yeah, I, I, it's interesting, especially throughout our podcast here, and we talk a lot about digital transformation. And I do like to ask our guests to tell us how they define digital transformation yeah. because it's interesting because there there certainly seems to be variance in in what that means exactly. Yeah, so I do have a definition as well, and it's uh, again it, it's somebody who comes from data background. Um, and ERP is part of, like, I do agree, ERP is part of digital transformation. So my definition is end-to-end, straight-through processing of every single interaction and transaction across the company. So yeah. it's getting all possible data up front. It's processing that data automatically. It's being able to connect and curate that data for every single use within the company, from operational use of operating whatever product to financial reporting, to analytics, to ERP. So ERP is part of it because ERP does do automation and straight through processing for that function. It just, it's a lot broader than that. The reason this definition is a little different because what you get for a lot of people's mind, digital transformation means we're going to build a website or we're going to build an app. Yeah. But then we're going to have a lot of manual work behind the website and behind the app, and we're still going to have a really well-staffed and expensive call center because we're not processing everything we get within the company digitally. We have a lot of manuals. So that's digital transformation to me. Again, very important. End-to-end, 
all of the experiences, external, internal customers, and all of the reporting and insight. That's Does a that great. You, Jack? Yeah, that's a great definition. I, I really like that. You know, it's I, I think you're looking at it very holistically in terms of not just the technology, but the the people and the processes to support that digital transformation as well. Is that a fair statement? It's absolutely a fair statement. And that's, I think, one of the things that when people, you know, there is statistics, for example, uh, yeah. McKinsey has 70% of companies fail at digital transformation initiatives. Yeah. And the major reason, I think they look at it as a technology transformation and not business transformation. Yeah, exactly. Well, Julia, let me ask you, what challenges do CEOs often face when trying to derive value from their data and digital assets? And, and maybe a second part of that would be, especially in the context of a merger or acquisition, which adds a whole nother layer on top of useful information, right? But uh, what, what's your thoughts mm-hmm. there? What challenges do CEOs often face uh, when trying to derive value? Well, them, well, there are many, and it depends where the company is in terms of their maturity of how they handle data yeah. uh, and just their assets. So one of the major challenges, though, is what we've talked about, that a lot of data and uh, technology, it's considered to be technology work. It's considered to be something that's driven by CIOs and somehow magically it's going to transform the company kind of from the back front. It's not being seen as a clear alignment of a digital transformation initiative with the business goal. So recently I had a conversation with a CEO of the company and they've done a whole work of creating an AI strategy and they've looked at AI strategy and they came up with, okay, the first things we need to do is, you know, to improve our data processing, to do must, uh, you know, act or automate and standardize our business processes. And then, you know, we can do the rest of it. But one of the things that came out in that conversation that CEO has in mind the goal of doubling uh, their revenues in five years, mm-hmm. but the strategy they came up with, so their approach is not aligned to that goal. So you have a breakdown between technology capability and business strategy. And I think that's the major thing because CEOs or business leadership has in mind, here is our goal. This is what I'm driving to. And then there is all the stuff that's happening with data and technology, but there is no connective tissue in the middle. How specifically these things drive? And though it's very easy to go and develop something that has nothing to do with the strategy, I mean, it might be a good thing to do, but it doesn't drive the strategy. That's interesting. That's, that's great insight. Well, let me ask you this then. So when thinking about a business strategy, as you just referred to, uh, Julia, how does data become the backbone for decision-making processes, right? I mean, is that something that has to be considered? Uh, you know, that's a, a gap that needs to be bridged, right? When you go through a digital transformation and you create your strategy, I think that's a, a major conversation uh, of a part of that exercise, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, so it's not just having data. So the first piece, you need to collect all possible data that you can legally collect uh, or ethically and legally collect. But the second piece, data has to be in a usable format. So this is where data management uh, capabilities come in. And that's actually what digital transformation is. It's making the data that you have usable for driving your business goals. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is actually very uh, explicitly seen when you're looking at buying and purchasing acquisitions 
and creating value from the companies that you buy. Because a lot of value resides in the data, but if the data is A, either not present, or even if it's present, it's not available for use. It's very difficult to integrate with the existing, you know, for the buyer's company uh, systems or insights, and you have to spend a lot of money in trying to get the data usable, you basically lose on the value that you've been trying to achieve out of doing that acquisition. Mm -hmm. You have to invest a lot more, so it erodes the value. Those are great points. And in you, you spoke of mergers and acquisitions, but I also know that you've worked with and advised several startups. Mm-hmm. Um, how should emerging businesses approach their data strategies to gain a competitive advantage? What would you say about that? Oh, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the pain. Well, as an advisor and what I see of startups and when I talk to the CEOs of company, of startups that are a little bit more mature as well, be, when you build from the beginning, so, you know, when you come into a company like Citibank or Deutsche Bank or Boer, so companies that are mature grown companies, a lot of them grew by acquisition and they have yeah. a lot, huge legacy environment. And I'm sure, Jack, you see it as well when you do ERP implementation. Uh, there is a huge uh so they have a lot of trouble and they have to spend a lot of money getting their data usable so it's usually a huge initiative it's hard to tie to business value immediately it's expense but the ceos always feel like yeah i have all this data but i can't really make it useful how do i get value out of it so then you have a startup and startup is trying to compete with the mature established company in the space and they're just starting, they're building this. So you would think that every single CEO or CTO of a startup would pay attention of how they do deal with data so they don't they actually have that advantage that they can build that resiliency and scalability in how they build their technology and business environment around data, but they don't because most of the I mean there's some that do, but majority unfortunately. It, that they don't because data is considered to be a difficult thing to do that's going to delay and they push very hard to get something you know a product out that will generate revenues which is very reasonable one of the things when i you know when i advise the companies and i have done it for the companies that i do advise uh, that i'm on the advisory on the boards of um it actually doesn't take more time or more money to put the right data, the beginnings of the right data management right up front once a, as you develop MVP. It's actually, so we've, I've done it in kind of in real life working with technology teams of a startup. It doesn't delay uh, the release. It doesn't cost more money. If anything, it actually makes follow-up development and development of the features better. Unfortunately, this is not, like there's still a lot of companies that kind of, just say, okay, we'll do it later. We'll do it later. Once we get revenue going, once we get revenue going, uh, we'll have money, we'll do it later. Well, that later never really arrives. We arrives so late in the game that now it's really big and expensive uh, proposition and there needs to be huge amounts of attention and again, funding and time to be devoted to now fixing the data environment. Yeah. That's right. You do the right things on the front end, and it makes the whole process more effective and efficient. Uh, you, you remove some of the challenges and risk later downstream, right, if you do the right things on the front end. Absolutely. And you set yourself up to scale to more than one type of customer and to more than one, one product. Because a lot of startups, they ask, start with one product. Yeah. So they're all, like, as an example, a very practical example, 
all of their setup assumes only one product because that's their MVP. It's only one product. But presumably, if they want to scale, they want to offer more than one product. And then it's either really messy or they create the whole new infrastructure and then they have problem accounting for it. Or they have to go back and re-engineer their regional MVP, which is full of high of risk as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Julie, I, I know you look at and define, as we've discussed earlier in this conversation, um, digital transformation and strategy holistically. So how do leadership dynamics play a role in shaping and executing a successful digital strategy? So one of the things that's really important to me is that digital transformation is a business strategy. It's not a technology strategy. So business owner, business beyond sponsorship, it's a business strategy that has a business outcome that drives the business goal of the company. And then you align the technology initiatives, data technology, analytics, AI to that strategy, but it's a business that owns that. And then it's a part, obviously it's a partnership relationship with the CIO, with CDO, with, you know, whatever the title is, chief analytics officer to get that strategy executed. But again, the main piece is digital transformation is a business strategy. It's not a technology strategy. Yeah. What do you think, Jack, again, in your experience, is that something that you see as a success factor as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. I I think that, you know, technology is, um, you know, it's there to support the people and the processes. And we talk a lot on, on our podcast and internally at NNA what we call the triad, right? The people, processes, and technology. And I know, you know, you you hear that, right? And it tends to be a a cliche, but when it comes to digital transformation and ERP implementation, it goes way beyond, success goes way beyond the technology or the functional capability of the application, right? Um, and, And to make it work. So they all have to support each other. It's a bit of a triangle or a triad, yeah, I, I would say that the leadership and organizational culture and the people is a huge aspect of, of a successful strategy. Uh, there's no doubts about it. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the definitions I have of data capability. It's not just technology. It's most, first and foremost, it's organizational people capability. Yeah. And then you have technology piece of that. By the way, that triangle that you're talking about, one of the things, the one I, I saw iteration on it recently that I really liked that had the circle within that triangle that said data and attached every line of the triangle. So you had kind of date, all of that arranged around data capabilities. Yeah. So well, I like that a lot as you, well, yeah. as, you as, as you can guess. I like that. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and and the other thing that triad uh, and of course the circle in the middle with the data, each one of those has an impact on the other variables, right? It's kind of an equation where uh, people process technology data equals success. And uh, if any one of those variables change or doesn't exist at all, that has a huge outcome on the the, uh, output of that equation. Um, You know, no doubt about it. Julie, I know when, when we spoke over the phone several days ago, uh, we talked briefly about the future of data. And so I want to share with our listeners some questions I have around the future of data and digital transformations and mergers and acquisitions specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but given your vast experience, where do you see the future of data-driven digital transformations heading? Can you pull out your, your crystal ball and uh, what do you have to say about the future of data-driven digital transformations in general? Um. 
So uh, I think uh, one of the things that's happened now with AI, with ChatGPT and generative AI, and that bringing uh, even more focus around data uh, and use of the data for the business growth, it's going to change the way. So one of my hopes, I don't know, hopefully it's a crystal ball, but uh, (laughs) that it will also bring back the necessity of looking, of making your data usable and being able to drive the transformation. So it's gonna go from everybody acknowledging the data is important, but in conversation around AI, it's really conversation about the ability to use data uh, for growth. So it will kick that to the next level. The other one is AI brings enormous amount of uh, potential, but there is also an enormous amount of risk. The power of AI, as we see, and we're just in the beginning, uh, is enormous. I've seen, you know, that famous phrase that, you know, one of the people who said it with Churchill is with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. A lot of that responsibility relies on what data do you use to train AI. And there's so many concerns around that, around ethical concerns and accuracy concerns. So it actually uh, kicks data management into a much more com well much both much more important but also adds more complexity but it also brings tools to manage that complexity so i'm very optimistic about where we're going with this i think but we all have to also keep in mind uh that the responsibility portion that comes with that great power and not misuse it and not unleash something on the world that we can't really put back in yeah. And that's a fascinating topic, right, is governance and control. And, and it's yeah. pretty exciting on one hand. On the other hand, it creates a little bit of anxiety. Uh, yeah. But to your point, as you said, uh, on the whole AI front, we're just in our infancy. And yeah. um, and, and it's uh, it's going to be quite the roller coaster, I think, uh, going forward here to yeah. see how things play out. Yeah, that's, you know, uh, there is a call when you have kids, there is a whole conversation about nature, nature versus nurture. Yeah. Like what plays more in creating the character of a person, uh, and that tons of like philosophical and otherwise arguments about that. But AI, it's all about nurture. AI grows on the data we produce. So yeah. some, uh, to certain degree, is that going to be the face that's staring back at us because it's going to grow on the what we as humanity nurture. Yeah. So that's like that's more of kind of less practical, more philosophical conversation. Yeah. But again, goes back to need to make sure that what we use is a good thing to use. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Julie, I, as you know, as well as I do with respect to mergers and acquisitions in the private equity sector, um, you know, typically during a merger and acquisition, there's disparate systems, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's different databases and different systems and different ERP systems. And, um, you know, and it, it's, a, it's definitely a time of trying to figure out how to consolidate all that data, you know, as you speak of the, the circle in the middle of the, the triad, the people, processes and technology. So how and, and you've alluded to this throughout our conversation today, but I, I want to um, just ask this question again, maybe in a, a little bit different way. But how crucial is it for firms to have a robust data strategy, especially in the context of mergers and acquisitions? I think, well, <laughs> not surprisingly, I think it's crucial I think throughout the whole process, uh, first one, identifying the target for the acquisition 
it's important to consider what are the what is your current state in terms of how you use data your data capabilities uh are you prepared to take on the whole new company and integrate it are you prepared uh to do you need additional capabilities in that space should you focus on uh a com- companies that bring something to the table so at the very least it starts with a really good evaluation of what you have currently and where do you want to go in terms of your you ma- making data useful for the business purposes of the company. So you identified the goal of the acquisition, but then you need to look at what kind of data and data capabilities you need to meet that goal. So that's even before you start. And then as you have identified the target, it's really important in um, the due diligence process to look at the target and see what do they bring to the table? What is the state of their own data capabilities, data strategy, usability of their data? What is the state of their talent? Uh, in terms of the resources, in terms of the leadership, what is the what are their business processes around managing the data? Are they uh, how much much manual processing do they do? Is the data available, usable? And then, and it's really important to do it in the due diligence because to assess and to figure out how much by a whether to buy, and b even if you decide to buy, what should be an appropriate price and how much money you should allocate to integrating or in in case of PE, uh, deriving outsized value of this company, uh, how much investment does that require? And that huge portion of it depends on their data and technology landscape. And it's even beyond, usually it gets looked at in terms of mergers and acquisition on uh, synergies and being able to save money, but it's a lot more than that. It's a potential of realizing value and either there is a potential and you should pay for it, or it's going to get you a lot of investment from you to realize that potential to get that value out. Is that something, again, that you have seen in your experience as well, that when like, you can get very unpleasantly surprised if you don't do that due diligence, and then after you bought it, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that was very well said, Julia. Um, and we see this uh, every day, every week. And I, I agree. I mean, due diligence is key, right? Because, you know, one, one of the things that private equity firms like to look at, um, especially on the pre-acquisition side, is are there any notable high-risk concerns from a business information perspective that should even prevent us from moving forward with the acquisition to begin with, mm-hmm. right? So so that's one thing that needs to be considered when you do a due diligence. And the second is, is okay, well, maybe not. You know, maybe there's no REDs, what we call REDs or mission critical issues mm-hmm. uh, that should actually be seriously considered before you sign on the line to purchase the, the you know, the, to go through the acquisition. Um, but then there's the other idea that you look at is post-acquisition, and, and that is really, okay, potential versus actual current value. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in what would it take, you know, so we, we know the current value here uh, in terms of, you know, the, the business information may not be very high, uh, but with a, you know, like you said, organizational capital, time, money, and effort, there's substantial potential to really move our business information along, you know, to, to take this data and create more uh, improved business intelligence. So, you know, that's one thing that, uh, that we look at frequently uh, during our due diligence. And, and I think that the way you, you expressed that uh, was, uh, was right on. Um, you know, and sometimes Julia too, I, I will say it depends on the private equity firm. I think that some PE firms 
perhaps understand that better than others. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to say, hey, yeah, there's just no major risk from a business information perspective that would prevent you from an acquisition. But what you also don't want is to have a surprise after, you know, post acquisition where, oh, you know, hey, surprise, it's, you know, three million dollars in significant organizational capital uh, to get you to where you want to be. So you may not be broken, but you may not be running very well either. Right. Yeah, exactly. Jack, you're absolutely right. That is a risk portion of it. So there is cybersecurity risk, information security risk, privacy risk, regulatory risk that needs to be looked at in the like during due diligence. But there is also risk of not realizing the value that you're trying to realize because the data management discipline is not there. The yeah. second, but well, then there is an upside because if you can uncover uncommonly good data and data capabilities, you can get to your value much faster and you can realize a much better return. So you want to look at it both ways. You want to look at it on both the risk and the risk of both, you know, regulatory, uh, like cybersecurity risk, but also risk of not realizing the value or, and overpaying for it. But then you don't want to miss the opportunity on the other side if that if the capabilities are just there that are really good that will speed you up and accelerate your ability to extract uh, to get value out of that acquisition yeah yeah exactly and and you know julia we've seen cases where it was uh presupposed it was assumed going into a due diligence from the pe firm that the erp system was just uh was was garbage right that it wasn't the right fit and so what we try to do is we go in and, and be very objective in our approach to systems assessment and there have been times where we went in and we took a deep dive look at the functionality of the ERP system and determined that, ah, you know, it's, it's not the ERP system. Your, your cornerstone, we call it, the, the ERP system is, is okay, but you have some major disconnects and gaps with the people and the processes. You know, so we need to focus on configuration or improve training. Um, you know, so there's other aspects there, um, you know, so you don't have to throw the, the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, right? And, and make the assumption that you need to spend millions on a new ERP system when, in fact, you just need to, you know, you need to get all the right people around the table and just focus on, you know, maybe it's process discipline or, you know, maybe it's uh, just a, a more thorough understanding conceptually of how a ERP system works, um, and so we've been in those positions before where the, the, the key that we've discovered during the due diligence during one of these transformations is not that you necessarily need to replace your digital, you know, your technology, your, your functionality and your applications, but you need to focus on the bigger picture, the holistic picture, and there's, which includes those other pieces that we've talked about uh, throughout our conversation today. And that's a useful thing to know before you buy the company. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Julia, I, I know you mentioned uh, AI, but uh, being someone who's very interested in technology and really, I, I guess more specifically, me personally in my research, uh, not only interested in technology and where it's going, but how that will impact that triad. You know, how does that impact that equation for success? So what are some emerging data products or tools that leaders or organizations should be aware of in this landscape? Is there anything else that comes to mind in terms of data management, big data, anything like that that you could share with our listeners? Uh, so obviously there are tons of tools out there. So some of them, there is a new class of tools emerging that uh, evolve 
uh, both data quality and data lineage into data observability. And for AI, that's actually really important because what you get around data, it show it you actually see the data that flows into execution of the model. And you can know, it allows you to see whether the output, like, do you have problems for the data that's flowing in, both from the side of, uh, like, but some of the questions around AI, is it producing the right answer? You don't necessarily have visibility into the logic, but you can you have to have visibility into the data that went in both in training and execution. So there is a whole yeah. uh, type, there is a whole tool set that's emerging around data observability, and it's kind of evolution to my mind, as I said, both of data quality and data lineage. Then there is a wonderful set of tools that's emerging around making uh, development more efficient. One of them is code generation. Uh, so that's uh, basically, because one of the things, by the way, but the reason I stopped being a programmer because I got tired of learning yet another details of new API or new, like details of the syntax. But, uh, but I really like the logic portion. So what AI code generation tools I think give you is that you focus on the logic and AI is the one that has to learn the details of the syntax. So that's a, a very powerful set of tools for efficiency. The other side of it, it also can produce documentation. So a lot of mature companies have a lot of systems that nobody knows anymore how they work. And a lot of business rules are embedded. Uh, and it's very expensive to go and figure out all the business rules. And that's why a lot of companies don't actually touch those systems because they're not sure of everything that's inside. So having the AI enabled tools that can generate documentation and can make that hidden logic visible is incredibly useful. And yeah. it's risk reduction and it's acceleration of the process. And then of course, the whole kinds of tools of you know, generating content, so marketing content, uh, copywriting, all of that work and just uh, analysis, predictive analysis, all of those tools are growing. So it's once you have all of this data, being able to use it for uh, accelerating the growth of your companies and pinpointing where you need to go. I think that that's an amazing, again, those are amazing powers. But I don't want people to forget the first piece of it, which is actually accelerating uh, the development and the efficiency side of the equation. Yeah. Great insight. Thanks, Julia. Well, Julia, um, I really appreciate your time today. This has been a fun uh, conversation with uh, lots of great insight. But before I let you go, uh, and before we wrap up our conversation today, I always like to ask our guests for their golden nugget. So based on everything we've discussed today, what's the one key takeaway uh, grounded in your knowledge and expertise that our listeners can adapt to truly help them move the needle forward in their own endeavors? What's your so goal, probably not going to come up uh, as a surprise based on everything, you know, on our conversation, but digital transformation is a business transformation first. It needs to start with the business ownership, and then it's a partnership with the technology and data people to bring it to fruition. But again, start with the why, start with the business goals, and align everything to that. And that will get you out of that 70% failure bucket into 30% success bucket. It's not the only thing, there is a lot more, but if you don't start there, you most likely will, you will end up in the 70% bucket. Yeah, well, good stuff. 
Thanks, uh, Julia. I appreciate that. So as we come to close uh, today's episode, let's reflect on insights Julia shared with us. So from understanding the intrinsic role of data and digital transformations to the importance of a robust business strategy intertwined with AI and technical tools, we've covered a lot of ground. And if there's one thing to take away, it's the power of integrating these insights into your own operations. Remember, while our conversations are rooted in a listen and learn approach, it's the application of this knowledge that makes the real difference. So I encourage you all not just to be passive listeners, but active implementers and take advantage of some of the great insight that Julia provided for us today. As you begin to apply what you've learned from experts like Julia, that's when you truly start to move the needle forward. Thank you so much for your time today, Julia. Uh, We truly appreciate your dedication to your trade. But before we go, can you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you? So LinkedIn is great. I I always uh, check and respond to the messages on the LinkedIn. Uh, The other one, the name of my company is Data for Real. And I have a website, data4number4real.com. There is a button there to write me an email or to schedule time with me. So that's also a great way of uh, reaching out to me. And the email, by the way, is julia at data4number4real.com. Well, thank you. And we'll definitely include that information in our show notes. Uh, Thank you again, Julia. We appreciate your time. Be well, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I did enjoy our conversation. You likewise. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the ERP OCJ podcast. This podcast is intended as a forum to study, share, and discuss ERP organizational change successes and challenges. We discuss the people, process, and technological components of ERP organizational change by drawing on knowledge from extensive research, collaborative learning, and practitioner expertise and experience. We are incredibly grateful to have friends, colleagues, and mentors join us in our podcast as we seek to promote, connect, and foster relationships in the ERP organizational change community and contribute to its success by bringing research and practice closer together. We want to make sure this is the most useful and insightful ERP podcast you listen to, and we'd love your help in doing so by leaving us feedback and a review. A great place to do so is at Apple Podcasts. Just click on the Listen in Apple Podcasts link, then click Ratings and Reviews, and let us know your thoughts. You can get more info about the show, including show notes and episode highlights for this and all of our episodes by visiting nestleandassociates.com and clicking the podcast option. Please join us again next week as we discuss the latest ERP organizational change research, practice, and stories. And don't forget to follow us on social media, hashtag the ERPOCJ. Thanks again for listening. Have a fantastic week.